Well, gentlemen, it's a beautiful day. We're going fishing. What? We're going what? Fishing. You remember fishing, Norman? You're going to show Billy what life is all about on Golden Pond. Come on, Billy. Oh, shit. I beg your pardon. Does that mean you can't wait to get out there or that it's not your cup of tea? It's bullshit. That's all. I see. Well, come on, Norman. Let's get ready. You like that word, don't you? Bullshit. Yeah. It's a good word. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, holy macanoli, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hi. On today's episode, we're sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of 1981's On Golden Pond, directed by Mark Rydell. And Nakia, I don't have a particularly compelling reason (laughs) why we're watching On Golden Pond. It's always a good start. Really, I just wanted to mix things up a little, take a break from some of the geekier, more genre stuff that we've been watching. Mm Mm-hmm. And On Golden Pond has been popping up in my Netflix recommendations for a while. And it's a movie that I remember really liking. I haven't seen it in many, many years. But I wanted to watch it again, and I thought, as usual, I would drag you along. Yay. (laughs) My thin thematic justification (laughs) for watching it, however, is that we are recording this on Memorial Day weekend, the traditional start of summer. And this is a movie that takes place over a summer. It is, in many ways, fairly representative of my summers growing up. I spent a lot of my summers on various lakes and ponds like this. So it's a movie that reminds me of summertime. So before we get to the film, let's talk a little bit about summertime and summer movies. Okay. What what were summers like for you as a kid? <laughs> um, I think my summers were, for the most part pretty unformed in that way that children's summers are. Those are the the best summers. You know, you just lose days doing nothing, really. Uh, I don't think I ever had the sort of stand-by-me sort of summer where, Uh you know, the great adventure. But, you know, a lot of bike riding, a lot of just running around outside. You grew up in the city, right? Yes, I was a city kid. We had very opposite childhoods. I was a city kid, so there wasn't, quote-unquote, designated spaces uh, (laughs) (laughs) for me. So, like, I was riding my bike in traffic, and we were running around. I would say all of the scars on my leg have come from, you know, falling on some form of concrete somewhere during the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of my, like, big kid childhood moments happened during the summer. I got chicken pox during the summer. got my first period during the summer. Um, So those were... Those are the. I went to camp one summer and I despised it with everything <laughs> in my being, and that was my first time sort of experiencing sort of nature summer. So we were in the woods and there was a lake, um, but it was too regimented. Like it was like get up at six a.m. and you have to swim in the murky ass lake, and I was not down with that at all. 
there was, you know, singing around a camp. I'm just not the sing around the campfire kid. I you never were, was. No, you were not a kumbaya no. kind of girl. They did have, like, art classes, which I really liked, but they wouldn't let me stay in there all day. I did, however, develop a crush on uh, the swimming instructor, Goose, who uh, <laughs> wore a puka shell necklace. I'm very embarrassed by that. Of it course was just, did. It was, it's horrifying <laughs> to think that I uh, had a crush on that, that guy, but... Yeah, I mean, they were kind of just lackadaisical, everything happening and nothing happening mm-hmm. at the same time. So, obviously, my mom worked during, like, she didn't have summer vacation. Uh, <laughs> so, my mom and my aunt would drop all of, we would, they, all of the cousins would be dropped off at my grandma's apartment. And that was kind of ground zero for everything. Um, and she didn't have uh, central AC. So she had one ace window unit in her bedroom that she kept closed and pretty much locked off all day. The rest of the apartment was burning the fuck up. So every now and then we'd like run into the apartment, go into her bedroom and just sort of get a brief, you know, chill moment. Run into the meat freezer (laughs) for a few minutes. And then she'd kick us out and we'd have to get out um, and then go play. And it was basically you stay outside until it's time to come back and eat. And then when you come back, they're going to tell you that you smell like a puppy and you need to take a bath. So (laughs) those were my summers. What were your idyllic main summers like? I mean, I don't know how idyllic they were. They were, you know, we were way the fuck out in the country and... That's beautiful. Summers lasted forever and... so I mean, summers were... It was all about water. It was all mm. about finding water. Mm-hmm. So it was going to the ocean sometimes, but mostly it was lakes and ponds. Mm-hmm. It was always called a camp, even if it was like a house on a lake. <laughs> but it was like, okay, we're going down to camp. So a lot of my friends' families had camps on lakes, mm-hmm. and we would, those of us whose families did not have camps on lakes, would basically just, like, move in there for the <laughs> summer until someone kicked us out. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of swimming, and lacking that, my one of my next-door neighbors had a pool, so we spent all of our time at the pool. <laughs> is, it, is this the uh, questionably milky pool that you told me about in past... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what their regime was there with was the chlorine no or no anything, regime. but the the water in this pool was pretty opaque. Yeah. Um, and that not not only did not bother us as children. <laughs> it really should have. It, it was a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Because you could, like, basically play hide-and-seek in this pool underwater. That's disturbing. <laughs> like, you could sneak up on kids underwater because you literally could not see your hand a foot in front of your face. That it was is- Awesome. Very If I ever have my own pool, I am going to try to recreate those conditions just so we can play those games underwater that we played in that disgusting no. opaque water. See, I would be on the other spectrum of that. It, was it the Simpsons episode when they get a pool where he pull, pours like way too much chlorine into <laughs> yeah, it and basically yeah. burns the skin? Of the, that would be me. It's just like, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> All right, so let's t- let's talk about summertime movies. What what movies evoke summer for you? <laughs> um, let's see. I mean, obviously there are movies like Stand by Me. Was yeah. that a summer movie? Yeah, yeah. that was oh, summer. Yeah. Stand- and that that one to me like captures that feeling because really that they had that whole adventure right. because they were bored and had nothing right. else to you're do. You're just roaming around. And it's like you're just trying to mm-hmm. find an excuse. And I remember that's a lot of. I mean, we didn't actually go looking for a dead body. <laughs> But that movie is very much like my childhood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sandlot is another one that's sort of like that, where 
the big adventure really isn't anything at all. It's basically mm-hmm. their battle with this dog. Yeah. Um, That's a good summer movie. It is a very good summer movie. And then, you know, of course, Spike Lee has sort of the quintessential summer movie with Do the Right Thing. I mean, that is summer personified. That, when I think about heat, mm-hmm. that is one of the first, like, everybody is just so miserably yeah, yeah. hot in that movie. That's one of the first ones I think about. And in fact, I found an article in Slate called something like the Spike Lee Heat Index, Mm -hmm. and it's proposing the theory that the hotter it is in one of his movies, the better the movie is. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) So, do the right thing. Crooklyn, uh, she's gotta have it. Yeah. And, oh, Summer of Sam is his other one Mm. that just takes place during a heat wave. Yeah. So. Yeah. Spike is good at creating the feet that sort of feeling of oppressive heat mm-hmm. and then using that as a sort of metaphor for whatever sort of social oppression is going on. So, yeah, I mean, he's very good at making you feel it through the film. What other summer movies? And Dirty Dancing. That's a pretty, <laughs> you know. To me, that's what I picture when I think about, like, people in uh, the Northeast doing summers. Is like you go to these uh-huh. little fancy yeah. clubs and have good that, time. That's the white privilege summer right. yeah, image. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, if you, like, if I didn't know you and you're like, oh, I grew up in Maine, and I would assume that that's what you did yeah, during no, the summer. Yeah, anything like that <laughs> at all. That might be rich New, Eng- what rich, rich New Englanders did with their summers. You knocked up one of the workers and then left her to get some, like, horrible backdoor abortion or something. Well, yes, that we did, too. Yes, of course, yeah. of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. I carried a watermelon. <laughs> and that's for you. As, as I was thinking about this, it's sort of the movies I thought of, I found, broke into, like, two categories. And one is just that sort of summer fun time, yeah. like kids filling the time of summer. Mm-hmm. And I agree that like Stand By Me and The Sandlot, those are good movies along those lines. Um, there's a movie from a few years ago that I don't think a lot of people saw called The Kings of Summer. Mm-hmm. That's a great, it's teenage kid, young teenage boys who like decide they've had it with their families and they're going to go out in the woods and just build a house <laughs> and live there full time. <laughs> it's actually a really good comedy. Um... Though it's not a movie that takes place entirely in summer, To Kill a Mockingbird is a movie that I think of. Yeah. Where she's like, summer meant Dill, Mm -hmm. and Dill comes for the summer. And then, again, they're just making up shit to fill the time. They're just, like, creating drama and coming up with adventures. It's everything and nothing. Because they have all the time in the world to spend as kids. Jaws, obviously, is a great (laughs) summer movie. (laughs) But then the other category that I think of is, and it's... Do the Right Thing falls into this category. It's just those movies where it's just so miserably hot Mm -hmm. that people make really bad decisions. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate being hot. I hate the heat. I hate sweating. It makes you grumpy. So it's like I... There's a lot of movies that I think of, and I just remember people being miserably hot. Um, Do the Right Thing, obviously. Body Heat, which is a movie that's on our list mm-hmm. that, that we will get to eventually with uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. That's It's just so swelteringly hot in that movie, and people just make horribly bad decisions. <laughs> uh, Rear Window. Yes, Rear Window is a good summer movie. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good summer movie. 12 Angry Men. Mm. That's, have you seen that one? Yes. Yeah. The courtroom, is, the courtroom yeah. movie where they're, they got the fans going yep. and everybody's just sweating and just wants to get the hell out of there. <laughs> so, which, so which one of those, if any, is like evocative of your own childhood mm. summers? I mean, I guess the closest would probably be Crooklyn, um, just in the sense that it's, you know, kids in the city just mm-hmm. trying to sort of entertain themselves and, and getting in trouble. And again, this feeling that everything is happening, but 
it's, there's really nothing happening and you're fine, um, except something does happen to Troy, with the whole family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that would probably be the closest. Yeah, I don't know what it is about summer. Summer's a special season because it feels imbued with possibility in a way that I don't think any of the other seasons are. Like mm. something could possibly happen in the summer. Like it just even now as an adult. Oh you well, feel hell that way? no, because you're going to work now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I will say, living in Chicago, it's the oh my god, please just let the summer come so I don't have to be cold and wear layers anymore and everything is going to be better in the summer just because the weather is better i'm still going to work i'm still doing everything the same but just the the very fact that it's just nicer outside that the sun is out that people are out it just changes your whole attitude about everything and it does like in chicago it happens pretty much overnight yeah it just everything comes alive it's it's 40 degrees one day and then it's 90 degrees the next day and it's like the lake is packed if you're lucky you get like a day of 70 in between right but speaking of milky pools like Michigan is a problem. Um, But yeah, it's just the city comes alive and there's just a totally different energy to everything. Everybody's so excited to yeah, shut off their winter clothes. Because they've been hibernating and... for like eight months. And so you have, and as a kid, it's, it's yes, it's nice outside and you get to play and you don't have the sort of strictures of school. And with me and most of my friends, it really is your parents say, okay, get out the house and I'll see you tonight. And mm-hmm. it's just like you have to fill that time. And you can do anything. So I wonder if it's do. still like that. Because that's when I was a kid, my parents, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, like there were weeks where my parents didn't know where I was in the summertime. <laughs> no, we had a street I, I had just rule. been living at one of my friend's yeah. house. Like my mother would call up after like, I'd be at a friend's house for like two weeks and my mother would call up and be like, is Michael there? <laughs> see, we weren't that loose. It was the streetlight rule. It was like, when the streetlights come on, you need to be back. Okay. I need to at least be able to see you. So you need to be on the block. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like you can just go disappear all summer, except the times that she sent me away on purpose to camp. Uh, <laughs> You're really bitter about this camp it thing. it fucking sucked, man. It was so, t- and I was, I think oh, I was. Meatballs, that was another, that's a meatballs. movie from my youth yes. that I have not watched since then and probably shouldn't because it's probably not a good movie, <laughs> but I remember that movie fondly. So the camp thing though, part of it was she was trying to socialize me she had a weird quiet kid who liked to like read and just sort of hang out and not do anything so she thought okay i'm going to send you to camp and you're just going to come back and be this totally different person that's Uh super social and turn you into an extrovert exactly and i just went to camp and i was pissed off (laughs) (laughs) why am i here (laughs) see I i never went to camp and i think probably no one forced me to and i had no desire to do that my older sister went to camp, and I think she was like a camp counselor. Yeah, and stuff. a lot of people get super into it. And I was, I like yeah. that sounded like hell to me. It I had was no terrible. desire to I do that. I felt like I had been sent away, and I had. Also, in Maine, we already lived out in the woods, the so thing. it was like we right. were. Now I mean, I'm that, just going to yeah. go live in the woods under worse conditions yeah. with people I don't want to hang around with. And I suppose I should have appreciated it for that, being a city kid, that I got to sort of go and experience a different environment, and I just didn't. Um, my only takeaway was the chant that we would do before we ate our meals. <laughs> And I still remember it's so which you weird. have to, which you now are obligated okay. to do for us. So listeners, it comes with hand movements, so it's hard to sort of translate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you're we're basically beating on the table to the tune of. Go ahead. Here we sit like birds in the wilderness, birds in the wilderness, birds in the wilderness. Here we sit like birds in the wilderness, waiting for our food, waiting for our food, waiting for our food. Here we sit like birds in the wilderness, waiting for our food. <laughs> 
this like advanced hand it gesture. Really it's is. very complicated. And like they taught us this and you had to do it before we got our fucking food, which was probably some weird like it was probably like a you know pseudo fascist shit camp. But it was like Camp Krusty. Right. <laughs> we were making wallets. <laughs> It, it's the only thing I've kept from camp. Why did I keep that? Why do I still have that? That stuff never goes away. <laughs> I That's don't in there need it for life. I don't need it. It was like, but I feel like I was indoctrinated in a weird way. And it's like if somebody says it, it's going to trigger me to like be a murderer. When you were an old lady who does not remember her I'm gonna own be saying name it on my or where bed. the toilet is, you are still going to have. And that they're going to think I head. have you know dementia or something. Like what the <laughs> fuck is she doing? And that's going to be my my last. It's going to be my rosebud. Is that thing? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, summers are sort of magic. They just are. And you get excited about silly things, like being able to go, again, in Chicago, being able to sort of go to, like, Millennium Park and sit on the lawn and watch Mm -hmm. a movie outside. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's a small thing, but it it feels special. So yeah, I love summers. I was sick of mittens like you wouldn't believe And all those turtlenecks were strangling me but now blossoms line the lanes And the honeybees have come out today You can give up on summer But summer will have its way I was riding a girl's bike Cause my boy's bike got stolen You know the dark side tried But they can't keep me from rolling So we're back to warmer days Let's ride to the park and sip champagne You can give up on summer, but summer will have its way Doom, 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 you can run from a lover Doom, 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 and the lover might let you You can give up on summer, but summer's gonna come and get you summer but summer will have its way okay so let's let's talk about this movie that we're gonna watch okay and i think this part will go pretty quickly i know nothing that's always <laughs> my first question what do you know about this film absolutely nothing <laughs> i know that i get this one confused with the one about uh yes cocoon yes we cocoon yes so apparently i have to put cocoon on the list it, i think now. i think i've seen cocoon though i don't i obviously don't remember it very well but i do remember it, it has to do with old people in water so that's sort of <laughs> where that connection came from <laughs> So, on Golden Pond, Cocoon, mm-hmm. Amor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All the same film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, I I honestly have absolutely no idea what you're going to make of this film. Okay. I haven't seen it in a long time. I actually remember really liking it in a non-ironic way when I was a kid. <laughs> I think we had it on VHS, whether we taped it off something or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I saw it a lot when I was a kid and actually really liked it. You're a weird kid. Uh, well, yes, we've already established I think it was that. a lucky pool. <laughs> you think there was some sort of oh, contamination? Oh, well, there was absolutely some contamination. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably why all my hair fell out, too. <laughs> I should check. I, think, like, I think everyone who swam in that was bald. Yeah. Um, Call Aaron Brockovich to do a study. 
And I don't, you know, I don't know if this film resonates with other people as a big cultural touchstone. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always hard to know with our audience. I suspect that our small, deeply disturbed following, (laughs) there's a number of different demographics among them. So... This one may not work for all of them, but I like it. And it's a, it was a well-respected movie. It won Oscars for both of its leads, which was two cinematic giants, Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda. Um, Hepburn won her last of four record-breaking Oscars for Best Actress for this film. And it was the last big screen appearance for Henry Fonda and his first Academy Award for Best Actor. He was too ill to attend the Oscar ceremony. His daughter, Jane Fonda, who's also in the film, accepted it on his behalf, and he passed away a few months later. Hmm. Um, It won an Oscar for its screenplay by Ernest Thompson, based on his play, and it was nominated for Picture, Director, Supporting Actress for Jane Fonda, and four other Oscars. So it was also a big hit, and it's... The kind of movie now, it's like, it's hard to imagine. I'm not sure movies like that become big hits nowadays. Yeah. But it was the second highest grossing film of that year after Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Because I know there are, like, lots of sort of conversations, think pieces now about the sort of dominance of the Marvel franchise and those mm-hmm. big sort of blockbuster movies and can these sort of quieter, quote-unquote, adult films. Right actually exist and thrive in this the current sort of film environment. Yeah, this would be a small indie right, film right. nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a big hit then. Um, I have to say, I am not... I don't have a lot of experience with the actors. I don't think I've seen anything... I don't think I've seen anything from Henry Fonda. Probably not. I don't know what you would have seen. Uh, There's a couple of his movies that are on our list. Mr. Roberts is one of my favorite mm-hmm. of his movies. We'll watch that I've never even heard days. of that, so... Oh, wait, you said you'd seen 12 Angry Men. That's oh, Henry, yes. That's Henry Fonda. Yes. Okay. Then that's all I've seen of Henry Fonda. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Catherine Hepburn in a couple things. I saw her in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and The Lion in Winter. Mm-hmm. And I've liked her in both. Uh, and I don't think I've actually seen Jane Fonda in anything. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what you... I don't think we've watched anything with Mm-mm. Jane Fonda, except that she was on that horrible Aaron Sorkin show. The newsroom? Yes. Oh, she was. Yes. Yeah, so she, that's she was okay. the owner of the company. That's right. That. So I have seen that. I didn't okay. like the newsroom, but I don't blame that on Jane no. Fonda. <laughs> Sorkin with his head so far up his own ass. Um, there's a bunch of other Catherine Hepburn movies on our list. I think okay. we will get to, including some early ones, which it sounds like you haven't seen any. I haven't when seen she was any young. of her. Yeah. So we'll do Philadelphia Story, definitely. Uh, we will do The African Queen with Bogart. Mm-hmm. The African Queen was the boat. That's all I know about that one. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> okay. Well, as always, I whenever you go into a movie completely uninformed about it, I like to preserve that. So we will talk about more after we watch the film. But I guess let's go watch it. Okay. All right. Universal Pictures proudly presents a very special motion picture. Catherine Hepburn, Henry Fonda, Jane Fonda, on Golden Pond. Listen, this Norman Thayer Jr. over on Golden Pond. Oh, Norman, it's so beautiful. Everything's just waking up. Ethel Thayer. Sounds like I'm lisping, doesn't it? My, oh, my, you have on a tie. Yes, I know. I put it there. It looks sexy. What do you do out there in California? Cruise chicks. What do you do with them when you have them? Suck face. Good God! Hey man, you don't have to yell at me. 
He wasn't yelling at you. He was yelling at life. It seems that you and me have been mad at each other for so long. I didn't know we were mad at though. We just didn't like each other. I, I want to be your friend. Want to dance? Or would you rather just suck face? <laughs> Catherine Hepburn, Henry Fonda, Jane Fonda. Lord Great presents a Mark Rydell film on Golden Pond. Okay, we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched On Golden Pond. Uh, again, the year is 1981. The director is Mark Rydell, written by Ernest Thompson, based on his own play. And the film was filmed in New Hampshire, but Ernest Thompson apparently spent his childhood on a lake in Belgrade, Maine, which is about 90 minutes from where I grew up. Mm. So again, this is a movie that resonates with me. Like, I know those houses. I, I can tell you what the inside of that house smells like. Like, I've been in a lot of those houses on these lakes. You've seen the loons? But I realized while we were watching that, I think I think the real reason I wanted to watch it with you is because... So in the film, he says he's turning 80 and she's 70. That's about the same age difference that's between you and I. <laughs> so I think this is gives you an idea of what you have to look forward to. Uh-huh. You're going to be, you know, all lively, and I'm going to be having heart attacks and getting lost in the woods while I look for strawberries. <laughs> so I think you needed to be prepared for that. Sure. So what did you what did you make of this movie? Um, I thought it was better than it had any right to be. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Um, I think that the sort of plot and story is fairly thin and predictable and it's a it's a little bit sort of smarmy sort of pull on the heartstrings kind of thing it, it is a little yeah uh but the performances by Catherine Hepburn and um Henry Fonda elevate the material to a point where it's you enjoy the movie more than you really should be enjoying it so once again you have tapped into the general critical consensus <laughs> about this film. Better than it has any right to be is is kind of what a lot of critics said about this movie. Vincent Canby in the New York Times said, as a successful Broadway play on Golden Pond was processed American cheese. Oh. Smooth, infinitely spreadable, and bland. But the movie, he says, with color added by the actors, now has the bite of a good old cheddar. Just cheddar? That's Just cheddar. He's, he's, not, he's only yeah. willing to go so far. But And Roger E. Bert, who actually gave the movie four stars, um, he said is a treasure for many reasons, but the best one I think is that I could believe it. I could believe in its major characters and their relationships and in the things they felt for one another. I left the theater feeling good and warm and with a certain resolve to try to mend my own relationships. <laughs> and then he says, all of these achievements are small miracles for any movie, but especially for this one, which began as a formula stage play mm. and still contains situations and characters that are constructed completely out of cardboard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think 
to to Ebert's point about the sort of believability of the relationships, I actually think that only pertains for me pertains to the relationship between Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda. Like I believe that relationship; it felt lived in. It mm. felt like these pe- these are people who had been with each other for you know fifty years or however long. Some of their banter was a little bit too quippy and smart by half, right. but that makes sense if it's it was a play. But I think. The tension of the film is based on the relationship between Henry Fonda's character and Jane Fonda's character, and I think I didn't believe that relationship really at all. Oh, interesting. Okay. And part of it may have been, one, she doesn't get a lot of time on screen, so there isn't a lot of time to sort of build that in the way that Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda have the time to to sort of create this idea of a real relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's also, I think, just the writing. She just, her character, Chelsea, is supposed to have had this really difficult, strained relationship with her father. But they don't really get into why necessarily. Like, he makes a quip when she first gets to the cabin about, hey, fat girl, or something. So right. There's this allusion that is alluding to that he made fun of her weight when she was growing up. And then Chelsea mentions something along the lines of, the fact that he had always wanted a boy. And I mean, we can see in Henry Fonda's character that he is just a curmudgeonly difficult mm-hmm. man. And so I, I, you know, you can sort of see that that would be hard to grow up with, but I just feel like there wasn't enough sort of flushing out that relationship to make me invested in it or to make me understand why it was so tense and strained other than, you know, he, he wasn't really a nice warm dad. No, I, I agree with you actually. I mean, that relationship is like severely underdeveloped. Yeah. And the result of it is that Chelsea's just kind of an awful character. Yeah. She does just seem sort of bitter, Mm -hmm. and she has a chip on her shoulder. And we have no information to explain why she's like that, really. Except that we've seen him be a dick throughout the movie. And we can believe that he was a dick. But we also know nothing else about her. Right. She presumably has a job she does something for a living like she like and we know nothing about what that is all we all we see of her is this bitterness towards her father but at the same time i think what makes this movie work is there's also like this emotional subtext to the movie primarily between jane fonda and henry fonda because they both said their relationship was very much like that. Oh, wow, okay. And she actually, she knew he was dying. She bought the rights to the play specifically to do the movie mm. with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she thought she thought it would win him his Oscar finally, which it did. And she also thought maybe it could help heal their relationship, right. which it sort of did, apparently, at least a little bit. Huh. And then Catherine Hepburn said, and this is coming from things Jane Fonda has said Catherine Hepburn told her, but Catherine Hepburn apparently said that Spencer Tracy was a lot like both Henry Fonda and this character in the movie. Okay. And she, Catherine Hepburn in her autobiography said, I have no idea how Spence felt about me. I can only say, I think if he hadn't liked me, he wouldn't have hung around. It was as simple as that. He wouldn't talk about it, and I didn't talk about it. So that, again, that thing of just not being able to express emotion, right. that absence of affection. Mm-hmm. And Jane Fonda said when they were making this movie that Catherine Hepburn told her, you know, Spence was just like that. He has no idea how much he hurts you. Mm-hmm. Like, he just, it's it doesn't even occur is. to him. Right. It's just who he is. Right. So that, again, this the, with those three characters, I think all of those, all of that emotional subtext, again, makes this movie better than it probably right. should be. Right. I mean, I guess, and I would imagine audiences at the time were privy to that, whereas I 
Maybe. I don't know. I mean, probably not, no? not, not their personal lives. Okay. Um, in fact, Hepburn didn't talk about Spencer Tracy mm-hmm. until a couple of years after this. Mm-hmm. Um, because Spencer Tracy, I don't know if you, Spencer Tracy was married okay. his entire life. And oh. he was Catholic and they were not going to get divorced. So there was a Mrs. Spencer Tracy who was not Catherine Hepburn. And out of respect for her, Catherine Hepburn never talked about Spencer Tracy until she died. Until Spencer Tracy's wife. Spencer Tracy had died 20 years earlier. But until Spencer Tracy's wife died, Catherine Hepburn would barely acknowledge that there was a relationship at all. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So, and then I don't know how much people know about the relationship between Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda. So I don't know if that was public knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I think I can sort of understand the way they chose to portray Chelsea in that she is a sort of very one-dimensional character. And, you know, you were saying that we don't really know much about her life or anything that's going on outside of the fact that she is marrying this dentist and is becoming stepmom to this kid. She says something, I think, towards the end of the film. Uh, I believe she's in conversation with uh, Catherine Hepburn, and she's saying something like, I don't know what it is, but whenever I come back here, you know, I'm a little kid again. Right. She says, and, I'm a grown-up right, everywhere else. Everything I'm in control of my I, life. So, so part of it is, well, you know, and that's sort of who she is, sort of just this sort of pouty, petulant child mm-hmm. when she's around them. Um, so I guess in that sense, it, it, it makes sense. I just feel like it doesn't sort of do enough work to build that relationship out. Right. I mean, okay, so let's let's talk about the story. And there's not a lot of story in no. the movie. No. But basically we have this, you know, what is he, 12, 13 years old, this kid, mm-hmm. this boy, Billy, played by Doug McKeon, mm-hmm. who she and Dabney Coleman just dump right. on. <laughs> As they go to Europe. Ethel and Norman <laughs> while they go to Europe. But then he, yeah, he becomes somehow like this surrogate for Chelsea. Yeah. That somehow transforms Henry Fonda a little bit and makes, I don't know exactly how that works. Right. It's sort of a magical thing that happens over fishing or something. I don't know. It's And that's the other thing. It it almost reinforces Chelsea's feeling that maybe he just did want a son. And maybe that was the problem. He wanted a boy. (laughs) But yeah, so yeah, I mean, you know, Billy's character, again, is another one that's sort of just like, he, he... he serves as a device. Mm-hmm. Um, his job is to sort of reflect Henry Fonda back to himself and, and sort of show him or give him a second chance to sort of do it over again and try to do it the right way. Right. It's a transformation that happens fairly quickly. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, it becomes a matter of, I think Henry Fonda does more with that role than what was written on the page. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't, it doesn't come off as sort of trite as it would otherwise. And Henry Fonda does make this movie. He does. I mean, that's... Catherine Hepburn is Catherine Hepburn, and yeah. she's always tremendous. But it, she actually doesn't even have a lot to do no. in this movie. No. But watching it again this time, I still thought Henry Fonda was funny. Mm-hmm. And that that's a, just a great character. Yeah. No, assholes are funny. Assholes are funny when it's not directed at you. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like somebody who's very, like, very sort of sharp and cutting, they're hilarious when you're just sort of watching from the sideline. <laughs> And then if they put their laser beam on you, it's just like, oh, fuck my soul, and you're destroyed. So, that's so yeah, he's hilarious as long as he's not talking about me or to me. So, yeah. So, the the precipitating event of this is that his, it's his 80th birthday party, mm-hmm. which he says feels twice as bad as turning 40 did. Um, and Chelsea and Bill Sr. and Bill Jr., Dabney mm-hmm. Coleman, they all show up for the birthday party. We have the scene where Bill awkwardly asks Henry Fonda if they can 
sleep together. Right. And he tortures the guy. <laughs> For like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene. And I mean, Dabney Coleman isn't in the movie very much at all, but that one scene is pretty much the only reason. I mean, it makes it all worth it for him to show up to set because it's just a perfect little scene of of back and forth and mind games between him and Henry Fonda. And I like, at the end, Bill is sort of like, you know, I get it. You're an asshole. Right. You're also probably a really fascinating person. There's only so much of this that I'm going to take, and we can sort of play this game as much as you want to, but, you know. So. You go ahead and be an asshole, right. and mm-hmm. I'll be pleasant and polite. Mm-hmm. And yeah. He stands up to him a little bit. Yeah. He's also a good surrogate character for you because he's a city boy who's just freaked out to be in the country. I don't get freaked out to be in the country. <laughs> he, like, doesn't dare walk down the path to the lake. Well, when it was dark as shit. He thinks he's going to get eaten by a bear. I wouldn't think that there were bears. Like, I wouldn't be that person that's like, oh, there are bears here. Like, I, think, no, I think you might be. I really wouldn't, but um, I'm not going to be, you know the black person walking in the woods at night. I'm just not going to do it, so... I like the scene where Catherine Hepburn comes upon him crouching. He's like, what is that over there? She's like, that's a long, a long chair. chair. <laughs> okay, so then that's... They they bugger off, and then we're stuck with the kid right. for the summer. Billy. And then we did get just a lot of fishing scenes. A lot of fishing scenes. A lot of bonding over fishing. <laughs> and trying to catch this legendary trout named Walter. Right. Yeah, and I mean, so in those scenes, we get a little bit of a hint of, of maybe what Henry Fonda was like as a father with Chelsea because he's still, you know, short and and demanding when he's with um, Billy. But this time he can sort of see, can sort of stop himself in the moment. and He can recognize that, you know, what he's saying and how he's saying it can be hurtful. Yeah, there's one moment where he, like, just suddenly apologizes. Right. This is the first time we've heard him right. apologize in the movie. The kid's like, you don't have to yell at me, and he's like... I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, they, I mean, they take the summer and basically set out to catch Norman's white whale, basically, except it's a trout. And in one very, you know, symbolic scene, they catch a dead loon. Did Did you sense some symbolism in that? I, I sense a little symbolism in that. And to be fair, I thought that meant that uh, Norman was going to die. I was like, oh. Well, th- this is, uh, we, we will get to Pauline Kale's review of this movie. Not a fan. <laughs> Uh, but she called it a, she said it was like a strip tease without nudity. Mm. And she said it was a death tease in which it is a little bit nobody of a dies. Yeah. You keep expecting somebody's yeah. going to die. Well, because we keep getting shots of these two loons together. Yeah. And then you get the one dead loon, so you're like, oh, well. But then the one that, the dead loon is not even one of the two loons. No, because we still it's see like, the it's, two it's, loons. it's another loon. It's a random it's ass like loon random, that we had just never seen. An expendable seen. loon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, it was definitely a, a death tease there. Because I was like, oh, he's <laughs> definitely going to die now. Um, but we get the near-death experience. Yes, yes, right at the end of the movie. Right, where they go fishing in Purgatory Cove. Oh, that, okay, you're talking about that one. Yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, is there a different near-death no, experience? No, go ahead. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right, there is a... Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple. Um... Yeah, because when they were going into Purgatory Cove <laughs> and the storm clouds were gathering, you 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 said you I were sensed. like expecting right. Well, then it was you couldn't get into the cove without somebody sitting on the front of the boat guiding it, and that's just a bad idea. All over. like nobody should, no one should be doing that. And we get the scene where uh, Billy is driving the boat, and uh, Norman is on the front of it trying to guide the boat, and Billy hits the gas instead of going in reverse, mm-hmm. hits a rock, and sends. 
Norman Just flying off. Flying through the air. <laughs> to the sea. But he survives. Uh, and as he and Billy cling for life to a rock, <laughs> Superwoman Catherine Hepburn <laughs> jumps into the water to save them. Which she did actually do. That was Catherine Hepburn. That was not a well stunt person done. diving into the water. Well done. Um, in fact, I think Jane Fonda has said that she originally had no intention of doing the backflip scene. At mm-hmm. the end, of the, she was going to let a stunt person do it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons she did it is because Catherine Hepburn basically I shamed mean, her into doing it. If that you know seventy-something-year-old woman yeah. can dive into that and do that little stunt, then yeah, you you can jump off of do a backflip into the ocean. So. So that was, yeah, death tease number one. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, and then death tease number two comes at the very end of the movie right. as they're packing up and leaving for the summer. Mm-hmm. He has a little heart attack. And... Right. And they then that's a really beautiful moment between Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda where they're just sort of, you know, quietly talking to each other and she's just sort of saying, you can't die yet. Like, this is not, mm-hmm. you know. And you do, and it is total audience manipulation. It is. If you do think he's actually dying. You do. I, I do actually like that she gets kind of impatient with his dying at one point. He's like, Ethel. She's like, yes, Norman. Ethel. Yes, Norman. Ethel. What is it, Norman? <laughs> and he's like, I think I'm feeling better. So death tease number two. Mm-hmm. Norman does not die from his heart attack. And they go on to live for maybe another summer. <laughs> yeah, well. Maybe. In Henry Fonda's case, no, actually. <laughs> Uh, but that, you know, happens off screen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay, so before but before we get to the ending, we have the reconciliation scene with Chelsea. Right. Such as it is. Right. It's very, again, like, that relationship is just very thin for me. She just sort of says, I'd like to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, however many years of animosity and, and anxiety just float off into Purgatory Cove. You're very cynical about this. I just don't think they did the work. Like, I just, that relationship doesn't work for me because I, there's nothing there. There's no reason for us. And, but, and again, it only works because Henry Fonda's great and Jane Fonda's also great in the role that she has. So they sort of make you feel it. You know, you get the swell of the music and you, you sort of see them get teary-eyed. And so you sort of get emotional even though... And again, Jane Fund has said that moment was real for both of them. That mm-hmm. that was a real... That like when he starts to cry, that that was really him. Right. That that was not... I feel like they should have just done a movie the about their life then. <laughs> and actually told us what was going on. <laughs> You're so cold. I'm not, though. You're so heartless. I just, I want to, you know, I want to get wrapped up in it too. But I can't if I'm just like, why are these people mad at each other? <laughs> I'm, I'm un- well, I'm he un- says, I didn't think we were mad at each other. I just thought we didn't like, like each, each other. other. That's true. Which is a shitty, shitty thing to say, really. But it's an honest thing to say. <laughs> I mean, you got to respect the honesty. Yeah, I mean, that moment, the heart attack moment, the moment when um, Ethel sends uh, Norman out to collect strawberries in the woods. Yeah, that's a good scene. And, you know, it's a path that they've walked mm-hmm. millions of times. And you just see Henry Fonda just get more and more anxious and more and more unsure of where he is and more and more afraid. The I have to say the soundtrack does a little too much work. It does a lot in work. this movie. Yeah. And that like that scene we just get this like horror yeah. movie soundtrack <laughs> that kicks in when he's lost in the woods that maybe we didn't need. It's a little heavy-handed. Might heavy be a little handed. heavy-handed. It's a little heavy-handed. Yes. But again, so that's again one of those movies that's just it's put there 
just a pluck on your heart right. because every you know that sort of image of you know an elderly person just where you see them sort of losing who they are and losing where they are in real time you can yeah. feel the fear and Fonda totally makes it work he does I mean, he completely earned his Oscar in this yes. movie as far as I'm concerned he does absolutely all right well you want to talk about Kate Hepburn at all Kate was great <laughs> um she was wonderful I mean she was definitely. You know, the yin to his yang and very mm-hmm. much the buoy in their life. I mean, she, it was the sort of perfect role of the wife who knows exactly who she married and made peace with that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I do like the scene where she slaps Chelsea. Yeah. She's like, that's my husband you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting movie in that. And I think, you know... In Roger Ebert's uh, review, when he says, you know, it makes you want to go home and sort of have the conversations that right. you've been fix meeting, your to, own right, relationships. fix your relationships. It is interesting in that I think this movie hints at a lot of other conversations that aren't had in the movie. So I think there are conversations about sort of family and reconciliation. Um, I think there are conversations about what it means to be an adult and watch your parents deteriorate. Mm. I guess I feel like there's maybe a, a, a much more nuanced and interesting movie that could happen with these themes mm-hmm. that were touched on but weren't fully explored. Yeah, we would. I think we would have had to have had like Chelsea be there for the entire right, summer, right? To sort of flush all that out, do some of that work. I actually do like though that it doesn't like even when they reconcile, they don't actually say anything to each other. Right. There there isn't a big, you know, apology scene. There isn't a big Now our relationship is perfect. And I actually watched a little bit of there was a in I think the early two thousands, a live T V version of this hmm. with it, it was a reunion for two of your favorites from The Sound of Music. It was Julie Andrews oh, and God. Christopher Plummer. Oh dear. Um, and I didn't watch it, but I did go on YouTube and I watched a couple of scenes from it. I didn't think it was very good, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But I think, I don't know if it used a different script or if it used the play versus mm-hmm. the screenplay, but it was a little different. And that final scene between Norman and Chelsea was much more overt. Mm. She was like, I've always wanted you to love me and stuff like that. And it was just too much. It was too much, okay. For me, I don't know. Like, you know, Norman's not going to change completely right. ever. I, I think the restraint of that in this movie, I actually like. Mm. No, that's a good point. That they leave things unsaid and yeah. that it's sort of imperfect and... They, they don't really do all the work. Right. It's just, right. you know. And like Catherine Hepburn says in the movie, she's like, there isn't time for this. She's like, he's 80 years old. When do you think this great friendship is going right. to happen? Like, you're not, if you're waiting for something to happen, you just need to stop waiting. And right. You just need to, like, make your peace with it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's look at, uh, I said we'd look at Pauline Kael's review. She called it Uplifting Twaddle, <laughs> a Doddering Valentine. Oh, dear. And a rather indecently premature memorial service for Hepburn and Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she had some of the same criticism you have. She said, The fakery at the core of the material is that Norman is a mean old son of a bitch to his daughter and just about everyone else besides his wife and Billy. Yet we're asked to dote on him. And Chelsea is made out to be a neurotic mess for not having responded to his true loving nature. Right. I mean, yeah, it sort of goes back to what I said What I said earlier in that, you know, the Norman's character is very charming and funny and engaging if it's not you. If it's, like, if it's, if you don't have to, you know, if you aren't on the receiving end mm-hmm. of that 
wonderful <clears throat> wit of his. And also not knowing how much of it was him versus how much of it was him sort of just raging at the fact that he's getting older and he's losing his capacities. Right, which is what Ethel tells Billy. Mm-hmm. He's not yelling at you, he's right. yelling at life and right. old age. But then nothing Chelsea says indicates that he was ever any different right. than he is now. I mean, yeah, I guess it's sort of like a really well done Hallmark card. <laughs> Like a commercial for Hallmark cards that... Uh, that Not we, even a Hallmark, a commercial a for commercial, Hallmark Oh, because, you know, cards. you watch the commercial and you go, oh, I should probably call my mom. <laughs> it's that sort of thing where it's like... Yeah, it's a yeah. You know, it's a it's a trigger. So it's it's not necessarily deep or profound on its own, but it it has these triggers in it that makes you you bring all of your shit to it, mm-hmm. and so it makes you feel something deeper than than what was necessarily there on the screen. So you then walk away from it thinking, oh, you know, I've been having the same argument with my mother for thirty years. Should I just let it go? Right. It's like nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that bitch ain't dying. So. <laughs> Maybe when she's dying. Maybe when she's dying, we can have that conversation. Um, but <laughs> so yeah, I think that's. I think it's a really well done commercial, Hallmark card commercial, <laughs> with loons on it. That, that is a rave review from you. <laughs> By the way, there there was a all black version oh, of this God. on Broadway. Uh, with James Earl Jones and Leslie Uggams. Oh. Hmm. I mentioned that just because this is probably the whitest movie it's we've watched so far, and that's super white. a lot. Were they still in the cabin on in New Hampshire or whatever? <laughs> I think so. Oh wow. I, I don't okay. I didn't see it. That's interesting. <laughs> I will say I prefer my Catherine biting and Yeah, she's a little too goody goody in this. She's very goody goody in this. And I, pre- really I prefer Lion in Winter. You Catherine like, Hepburn. You like her with a little murder. I like her with edge. a little bit of a you know, very saucy mouth <laughs> which is how she was in life she was a <laughs> hardcore bitch i saw there's a clip on youtube of her on the dick cavett show in the 60s and it's actually a clip of not something that was aired but mm-hmm. they were before they did the actual interview mm-hmm. where she arrives on the set she's like bitching about the table they're sitting in chairs with a table in between them and she's like, can we get this table out of here? It's get it's too wobbly for me to put my feet on. And she makes them move the table. She actually picks the table up and takes the table away and gets another table that she likes better and puts it down. And then she's bitching about the, how ugly the carpeting is. And she's like, you need to get rid of this carpeting or put a rug over it. And she's like, and paint this wall brown. And she's just like... And Dick Kevin's trying to be very polite and be like, you know, we'll do that. I, I don't need I wish you'd been Hepburn. here earlier. I think she actually wanted them to redecorate right, the entire basically. set of Dick Cavett's show it doesn't while look she was me. sitting there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's part of, you know, the reward of becoming abroad is people got to take your shit. And they have to smile about it. And you just be like, bitch, I've been here for too long. You need to change this. And you're not going to say anything about it, so. <laughs> she did that right from the beginning. She, So she was a studio player in the 30s. She had a couple of huge big successes. I think she won an Oscar for her third movie. And then she had a string of just horrible mm-hmm. flops. Mm-hmm. And she got labeled as box office poison. And they kept putting her in shittier and shittier <laughs> movies. So she actually bought out her own contract mm-hmm. and was like, Screw you guys. Right. I'm going to take charge of my own career. 
And she did, and she started developing her own movies. She had a little help from Howard Hughes, which helped a little bit. That he <laughs> bought nice to have some your, stuff for her. In your corner. Some, some projects for her. But yeah, she turned her own career around and just took charge of it at a time when women did not Weren't do doing that. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, good for her. And she lived to be 96. I think she died in like 2003. This was her last big film. Um, I think her, it might be literally her only other movie appearance was, do you remember In Affair to Remember? Yes. One of the movies we watched for the blog. Yes. That you loved. I hate it. <laughs> do you remember they go to visit Cary Grant's old grandmother in Greece or Italy yes. or somewhere? Okay. So in the 90s, Warren Beatty and Annette Benning remade that movie mm-hmm. and Catherine Hepburn played the old grandma. Okay. Or his aunt or right. whatever the hell she's supposed to be. And it was a fairly small part. I think that was her actual last film performance, okay. but this was her last major performance. All right. Any final thoughts on this? A new favorite? Not at all. A new entry in your personal canon? Not at all. I mean, I, I very much appreciate having the opportunity to see Henry Fonda play this role. He is, you know, a crotchety delight. But, Which, again, is what I plan to be. See, I don't think that you should assume that I'm going to be Catherine Hepburn, though. That I'm going to find you at all charming or want to be the sort of light in your life. No, you're going to say about me, as she says about him, you really are the sweetest man in the world, but I'm the only one who knows it. I'm, I think that's the relationship I would like us to have. I would like you to be the person telling everyone else how sweet I am, and then I get to be just as crotchety. No. Just as big of an asshole as I feel like being. No. What I will be saying is, here's the address to the home <laughs> where he's staying. Feel free to go visit him. That does seem more likely somehow. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention, uh, at the beginning of the episode, you sang your little camp song, and we talked about how that was going to be with you into your old age. Yes. She sings a little camp song. She's out in the woods <laughs> singing her little camp song in this movie. I had forgotten that. See? So see, it does stay with you forever, and that is who you will be. The brain is a tricky thing. I won't be nice like that, though. <laughs> I really won't. I'm already too angry and bitter. Like I'm, I, it's, I'm not going to get nicer. I'm just going to sort of ripen into my... Okay, so see, now this is a problem, because now I feel like you and I are both angling for the Henry Fonda part in this relationship. Sure. So one of us is going to have to be kind of I mean, I don't want to be a full-on asshole, but... Okay. You know. Then I'm claiming that part. Okay, that's fine. But I'm just saying I'm not going to be as nice or as accommodating or as tolerant as Catherine Hepburn of your bullshit. It's not going to do it. <laughs> Noted. Thank you. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as Nikki and I watch one of those movies we were talking about earlier where miserably hot people make really bad decisions. We'll be sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of one of my favorite movies, Sidney Lumet's 1975 masterpiece, Dog Day Afternoon. Didn't you say this was a bank heist movie? It is a bank heist movie. The last bank heist movie that you recommended to me with high praise, I did not enjoy, so I'm not looking forward to this. Which was what? Quick change. Oh, you the never, quote you, you, unquote you, funniest movie ever. I never said that, to but you. It, you never appreciated that movie. It's terrible. I actually think you're going to like this one. Okay. Dog Day Afternoon is currently available for streaming rental from Amazon or iTunes, so if you haven't seen it either, you should, as Nakia likes to say, watch it and fix your life. 
Okay, don't use my things to suggest things that I wouldn't suggest. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, or email us at michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a movie Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. Oh, I did find this story we were talking about. You were you were talking about your grandmother's air conditioning, yes. remember? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I found this story. This is just from earlier this month in Florida. A 95-year-old grandmother in Florida was arrested Saturday after police said she slapped her granddaughter in the face with her slipper before calling 911 to get her out of the house. Hattie Reynolds told police her granddaughter would not get out of bed and that she was tired of her staying in bed all day soaking up all the air conditioning. First of all, I love that her name is Hattie. <laughs> that is such a black-ass grandma name. Second of all, I know what slipper she used, because every black grandma has the same damn slipper. Third of all, that's legitimate. Get the fuck out of my house. Soaking up air, using electricity, eating my food. No. So your grandmother with her one room that had the air exactly. conditioning in it. She, she was like, get your asses out of my room. She was actually a very nice woman. <laughs> <laughs> she of all of us she was probably the nicest but she would absolutely be like get out of my room stop soaking up all my air conditioning i put this ac unit in my room for a reason the door is closed for a reason <laughs> not for you kids to be running up and through my apartment yes miss hattie yes you are absolutely in the right <laughs> <laughs>